everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Carolyn Talks. And I am your host, Carolyn Hines. And this is the podcast slash YouTube channel where I, your host, Carolyn, speak to different creatives in the film and television industry about their work and their experiences in the industry. And today I am joined by my friend and fellow film critic, Valerie Complex, to talk about one of the films that we've seen at this year's Sundance 2022. And it's the film 892. In my head, I think I keep saying 892. But it's 892 and it's written um it's written um by Abby Damaris Corbin at Kwame Kwe Arma and directed by Abby. And this film stars John Boyega, John Boyega, Nico Bahari, the Queen, Connie Britton, Olivia Washington, and Selinus Leva. And this film is really good. And I wasn't expecting it. I, w- I don't know what I was expecting, but what I got with this film isn't what I got. It's very well directed. I think it's very um, technically well made. And it tells a really good story about this army veteran, um, Brian Brown Easley, played by John Boyega, who after finding out that he's been shafted and owed money by the VA, decides to make a very ill-advised decision to rob a bank because he's at his wits end. He's at the end of his rope. He has no money and he thinks this is his only option. And this film explores the, I think, the trauma experienced by a lot of veterans, as well as the financial hardships they experience once they leave the army and they have to depend on the VA for income. And for you, Val, you, I, the reason I asked you to speak about this film, because um, I'm very interested in it as a story, but also the acting, but also because your experience working in the, um, being in the military, and you've talked about this, because I know recently you've been hosting Twitter spaces, talking about your experience as a Black veteran and being in the army. So I, I, I wanted to really get your perspective on this film. So what were your initial thoughts about it? Um, it's unfortunate because I had not heard about Brian Easley's story, um, which I'm kind of embarrassed by uh, until I had seen the movie. And, you know, I don't think I knew what exactly what I was expecting. I had read the press notes and I sort of knew the premise, but I wasn't sure what I was getting into. But, you know, definitely when I ended up seeing it, I was like, oh, snap, this is bringing back memories, memories of people who I saw in the military and uh, memories of people who uh, I saw outside of the military and just um just he had to go through those lengths to get access to basic needs and basic care which is so typical of the the veteran system um John Boyega gave a really great performance he he reminded me of like watching a young Denzel Washington like okay so you were <laughs> I had the same reaction. Me and another friend, we said this same thing. Have you ever seen John Q? Yep. Okay, so it reminded me a lot of that. And, you know, I just was, I, 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 it's good for him to step out of Star Wars' shadow and start to build a career that really showcases his talent and values um, what he can do. And, you know, the cast is solid. It was almost like watching a stage play. I, could, I feel like 892 
could definitely be a stage play as well. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I enjoyed the movie. No, I, I agree about it um, having a, a sense of a stage play because it is focused in one location, which is the bank. And there aren't that many like um, variations in like the filming style, as in, for instance, like for the, the cinematographer, like they keep a very close um, focus on the individual characters. Like first, a lot of scenes with Brian, like they stick close to Boyega, to John's face. And for mm-hmm. the scenes with the, um, the, the bank teller, they stick on her face. And for the scenes with Nico Bahari, who plays the um, bank manager, they really focus on it. And I think it's really important because to me, it like really... Uh, people say use the word humanizes but it really does humanize because it, it reminds you these are these these actors are playing people who do exist who were in an extremely um traumatic experience and it's not like a regular quote-unquote bank heist film um you know like those like um like the oceans 11's film which is like completely fictional like i think it was important that they kept focus on these people to remind you this actually happened like the dialogue comes straight up from news reports and from the recordings that were taken because um, Brian, well, he when he entered the bank, he called the nine one one. He called the news. Um, he called the news station. So they have recordings. So this is actual dialogue and actual things that were said. I think, you know, having spoken to Abby Corbin, the director, she really she didn't know about the case either, and she you know went through archives and footage and anything that she could get a hold of that brought authenticity and um and a genuine feel of the story to the film Mm -hmm. so she was looking to add as much of that to the narrative and i really appreciated appreciated that because it's a true to life story and it feels like a true to life story you know how you get these biopics or whatever and they just sort of feel contrived and they center whiteness and don't really, you know, center the narrative. It's all about told, it's all about a story that's being told through someone else's eyes, i.e., the killing of Kenneth Chamberlain. But 892 feels very real and feels like it's coming from a, an authentic place. It does. And that I think that's one of the things and the fact the things that this was the very first film that I saw. No, wait, I'm wrong. This is the second film because the first film I saw was Emergency. But to me, like this being one of the first films that I saw for the festival, it kind of impacted me because it kind of made me realize a lot of the films that I saw for the festival are very um, human centered. Like there, there's nothing that I've seen is like extravagant or really like you know just like entertainment like a lot of these stories are telling like very important stories about situations that are occurring especially for the films by black creatives and abby is white but i think um i do have to say that she got a she really i think well, she the fact that these were black people that she was portraying on screen well she worked closely with the with the script writer who is um kwame Quay, Ara, to sort of get to the heart of the story and so i believe that that may have helped her a lot mm-hmm. you know in the long run um as opposed to you know just writing the story offhand for you as of as someone in who was in the army and is a veteran like what was it like for you watching this film because the thing for me is we've seen people talk about how the government 
basically ignores veterans once once you've been discharged especially if you're mentally ill or have a physical disability like brian because brian had back injury from from the work he did in the army and he had he said he was diagnosed with schizophrenia and paranoia because i was reading an article by um a 2018 article called by task and purpose where it goes into his um experience in the army but it also delves a lot into like how the the government itself disenfranchises army veterans the government itself disenfranchises everybody, whether you're in the military or not. But when you're in the military, it's it it can be as exceptionally egregious because you've signed on the dotted line, um, and you're forced to deal with a lot of that. And so it all depends. See, my journey, my journey with the VA, has been completely different than a lot of other people's. But the thing, the problem with the whole system is the lack of knowledge, like people purposely hiding knowledge from you and not telling you how to do things and how to get what belongs to you, you know, like VA benefits and things mm -hmm. of that nature. And they, you know, they've screwed up, you know, hospital bills and stuff for me too, but I've gotten all that worked out, but it's taken some of these Vietnam veterans 50 years to finally start getting benefits because the system is so slow, it's backed up. And then with COVID, it's backed up even more and people are waiting years before hearing a decision. And what it is, is, um, you know, when I got out of the military, I made sure I had everything done before I got out. But for those who are out and discover, oh man, I could have been getting this and this, it's very difficult. The system is, is it's not kind to them. It's a lot of red tape. And it's like foolishness. Like when they told me, like they diagnosed me with PTSD and they were like, well, you'll have to come back and get evaluated in a few years as if PTSD is something that goes away. What? Um, I don't know. It's just the system is screwed up. I go into VA for checkups sometimes I see people screaming this is so much despair and just I don't know it's I think 892 does a really good job at portraying of portraying what that's really like yeah yeah because um one of the first scenes of the film is with um Brian going into the VA office because he's realized he hasn't gotten his disability check and he's like, where's my money, right? He's like, I need this money. Yeah, I have no money. The money. Right. He's like, where's the money? I don't have the money. And then it's like, you have, and then you, you see the dismissiveness coming from the people working there. And you're thinking, okay, so like this man is in dire straits. This man needs to be, needs to get his money to survive and live. And then it's like, you're also thinking in my head, like also thinking these people go through this every day with hundreds of other veterans and they're, they're, they, they have to be mentally and emotionally exhausted having to do this. And it's not their fault. It's the system's fault. And then when the camera comes on, then when, as Brian is walking out, he looks back and he sees like this long line, like sneaking down the hallway of other men, just like him, other men and women, just like him. And then the the uh, the lobby itself is filled with people sitting on the chairs and sitting on the floors because it's just packed with these people having the same issues. And it's just you're just thinking this is so egregious because it's like the army, like, like something you said just now, like it can take years to get the money that you deserve that is yours, but it doesn't take the army or the government long to sign you up at all. 
you go into well, an aren't you going to an, a, a recruiting office sign your life away and for them that's it but they, it takes them years to pay back what they owe for the for the trauma that they put you through through training and then for deployment because he was deployed into afghanistan and kuwait and it's just like he saw like real war and it's just like he worked in the supply office but even then it was so traumatic because as one of his crewmates in the article I was reading were saying like bombs were dropping you know like they still had to deal with that trauma and like they always had to be on high alert no matter where you are stationed no matter what kind of job you got everybody walks around those bases with a loaded nine millimeter mm-hmm. they have when they go to the bathroom they gotta wear it you know and that could be traumatic and like you know that's why a lot of veterans don't like the fourth of july big bangs going off the bomb you know sound like bombs and a lot of them experience those flashbacks mm-hmm. mm. and i really liked what they did in the movie um sort of portraying how you know how how easily was sort of moving through the bank as if he was in some kind of war zone or something. And I was like, where does he think he's at? Like, you know what I mean? Um, you know, and, and, and so it made me think like, where is he at? Where does he think he's at? He's just at the bank. And I don't know if he really wanted to rob the bank so much as he wanted, he wanted his disability check. Mm-hmm. And so he thought the best way to get attention was to hold up a bank. And I am, the links that people have to go through to get a response, to get the attention of an organization like the VA is just absolutely crazy. It's ridiculous. It's, I don't know. And I, like I said, I go to the VA, I look at people sitting down, waiting for stuff. I see the despair. You know, the healthcare isn't all that great to begin with because the doctors at the VA are underpaid and overworked and understaffed. And the system needs a huge overhaul. But I think, you know, 892 and Brian Eastley's story, now that it's coming back up and coming to the forefront, I hope it'll put a, a target, like a spotlight on the problems that the VA has and maybe they'll get their acts together. I hope so too, because it's just like, it just like, it's, I just think it's so, the only word that I can come to my mind is evil. How, especially for the, like this applies to any government that's, that has like a war, a, a military structure like the US. But I think it's to me, one of, one of the worst things about the US is because the US touts itself, the US government touts itself as, you know, we're like the most forward thinking, progressive country. That we're the most technologically advanced. We're the most educated. We have, can't boast to have the, most, the, the best healthcare system. But then that also ties into it because the VA is part of the healthcare system because it's like ignoring people's mental health and disability. And then it's like, you see the government passing bills for trillions of dollars to be added to the military budget, but that money is not going to help the soldiers when they come back from war. They spend all of this money building uh, infrastructure to go to war, but do, but do nothing to help the people when they come back from war. I'm looking up right now, um, how many veterans make up the homeless population? Mm. And it's some, it's some crazy statistic like, Okay, so as of 2021, a large section of homeless people in the U.S. includes veterans. In fact, 11% of all homeless adults in the U.S. are veterans. Mm. 
and that's insane when you think about what that the actual number is like millions of millions of people are homeless right and that's an insane amount of um an insane amount and then because in the film it does like sure like for easily like he is on the verge of being homeless and in real life this is just in the film itself but in real life he was homeless like he lived in his car he would like um it was said that because he was discharged in 2005 and a lot of that time he spent either in VA hospitals or like you know his family don't even know where he was because he would just like walk away they said he would just get up walk and leave the house because he was like he was traumatized and he was mentally um ill and he slept in his car and like for where, where the film picks up, he is on the verge of being kicked up because there's like this man who owns a motel where he's staying at is telling him, are you going to pay or get out? Right. And like everything he passed, that's what the man says, pay or get out. And it's just like also these people, they don't care that you are a veteran. They don't care that you fought for the, you know, like they'll, they'll, they'll use a tagline. I fought for your freedom. I fought for the country. They don't care that you went to war on behalf of the country, on behalf of for them. They just want them, they, they don't, all they know is that you don't have money to pay the rent. So you need to get up and get out. And like for Brian, like he is there. That's where he is. He's just like, he's desperate. He just wants his money. And they think, but, but there's another scene that really hammers home how um, common this is, is like for the character of, I, I was, it's her name. It's not Lynette. It's played by Nico Bahari. She's the bank manager. And she starts to connect. She tries to connect to Brian by saying that her husband is a veteran too. And she knows what she know, understands what he's going through because she's like, my husband went through the same thing. So it's like, even in that small situation, like even in with just like three people, that's two people with connection to the army who are facing the same similar or similar situations. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's so tough. And it's, uh, it's a really difficult system to navigate. You know, I've been receiving benefits for a while and it, it could be a matter of life or death because the way it works is like, if you, if they have percentages, right? They go from 10% to 100%. At every percentage you get a monthly income or they call it a pension. And with that pension comes certain benefits. So people who receive over 60% of the benefits will can are eligible to receive free health care from the VA. But there are so many roadblocks to just getting them to give you any kind of percentage. Mm-hmm. But if you're between now if you're between 60% and 90%, you receive free medical coverage from the VA, but you don't receive dental co- coverage. You only see receive dental coverage um, at 100%. And I'm about to look now. I'm curious to know um, how many veterans receive benefits. Full or partial? Um, It says that uh, um, something like 9 million veterans are enrolled in the VA Health Administration or enrolled in the VA. Um, So... Of the millions of military members that have joined, I, I think nine million is a fairly small number. I know, look, being in the military, only one percent of the population joins the military. Mm. But if we're talking about from over the years, uh, from its inception, 
millions upon millions of people have probably already joined, but at this current moment, only 9 million veterans are enrolled in the VA. It's crazy to me. But even that number, 9 million, is kind of insane because there's more of them in the population than some countries. Yeah. Like Barbados's population is less than 300,000. So that's like Jamaica, which is the largest island in the Caribbean, is I think their population is just about one and a half million people. So it's like you got, you got like entire populations of entire countries within the VA system itself. And that's just insane to me. That, I just think that that's insane. And then when you think about how many of them are struggling or living just above or below the poverty line because they're not getting the full benefits and they can't work, they can't work for them just because they have physical and mental disabilities. It's just like, again, kind of insane. It's just such a small number of people. The more you go up, the more you go up the ladder in percentage, the less you know, the, there are less people to share that with. So if, let's say, for example, there are 1 million, there are 1 million veterans receiving 10%, that by the time you get up to 100, maybe only 5,000 veterans are receiving 100%. It's very, it's very crazy. Like, the whole system is messed up. And then if I was to sit here and try to explain to you how they add up the points, how they get to 100% is even more convoluted. The system is so, it's just so convoluted. It, you know, it, it's not, I don't think, would I do it, would I join the military and do it all again? I don't know. Do I regret doing what I did? No. Do I miss it? No, I absolutely do not. I do not miss it. Um, you know, my family has sort of become a military family by default. Um, not because it's something that we respect or we're patriotic, but everybody had their own level of desperation that caused them to join, you know, the country's biggest, you know, the U.S.'s biggest uh, safety net because it comes with free health care. You get free rent. You know, you get money for uniforms and stuff. It's a, it's a social system that works for poor people. And sort of, quote unquote, gives them a leg up. Um, but man, there was, you know, I'll never forget the amount of mentally ill and homeless veterans I saw one time when I went to the hospital and a lot of them were there because they wanted to just have, you know, they wanted to have a decent meal and shelter. And when they were being forced, you know, you know, I've seen some of them being forced out and it's like, they don't wanna leave because they don't wanna go into the shelter system or back to the street or back to drinking. But the system just gives them the boot and puts their asses on the street. And that's not how it should be. It shouldn't be. And like the things, it doesn't have to be because like when people are talking, especially about the homeless population, like there is, there are places that can be used to house people who are without homes, you know, like the government has the resources. There are vacant buildings that mm. could be retrofitted and be made into homes for people. There's ways for them to become 
like I don't, they don't even need to give back anything or to be called contributing members of society because they already pay their dues by going to um by enrolling and enlisting in America and going to war. They've already paid their dues, and then and and then it'll be like I'm mean, like the government oh they the government owes them everything and like there's another thing that really that made me was it literally made my blood um my blood boil when it was revealed that the reason he didn't get his money is because there was a mix-up in the system and they were saying that his his money was being garnished to pay back for a college loan and i'm like so they're not supposed to even do that they're not supposed to do that that money is not supposed to be taxable it's not supposed to be garnished there's nothing you can do you can have a whole bunch of lawsuits once you enter the military they are not able to tap into those funds and also a lot of times people go in the military with college debt and they're they're in deferment so it's 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 just sort of like a it's not even a comedy of errors it's just errors being made and you know people poor people are the ones that suffer for it yeah and it's it's just it's just he it's just so hard to see how and then for to for his for how his his um situated which ended like this is a spoiler because i haven't in real life like he died like he was shot he was never even given a chance to surrender right like he he was killed and there's a character played by michael k williams and the like there's the moment when it happens and you can see the devastation on his face because he was acting as a hostage negotiator and then the two um the two bank workers and um, faces and i remember in that moment i was just thinking this is something that should have never happened like like it would it should have never happened and then at the end of the film there's a post there's a little um screen the thing that crosses the screen where it says that even up till now up to the moment when the film was made and released his family never got the money that he was owed right so it's just like it's, it's just like we were just thinking like what like i was just thinking what was the purpose like th- like this should have happened and even nothing they're probably you know they're probably out there you know you know fighting you know the va for the damn money that's mm-hmm. old yeah and it's just like and it wasn't even that much money it was 892 dollars no no so there wasn't even like a full thousand dollars or anything but that was to a lot of people that's not a lot of money but that is a lot of money when you are living paycheck to paycheck that's a lot of money when you're poor exactly that's everything (laughs) it's enough for him to go into a bank and say i need i'm gonna hold this bank up i'm gonna rob this bank because i need money i need my money i don't know it's the whole thing is sad and it really i don't know it really sort of touched me i was it's just an unfortunate thing. It was. And like as you said, I hope this film does like get people talking about this situation. And instead of glamorizing the military, like these Disney films does with their um, MCU films, because that's what I, I call them war propaganda. But I, I want people to really, I think this film is going to give people a more realistic um, look at what the military does after people are um, discharged. Because a lot of these films also made up that are about the military are about, you know, the action and making it look cool. You know, you're going, you're becoming a man's man, a hero. You're going to get to shoot guns and do all these things. I'm like, it's traumatic as hell. And this film really does paint a paint a, a clear picture of just how traumatic it is for people who wants to get out because a lot of films don't explore that. Or even if they do, they're still trying to make it seem so kind of macho. Like a lot of those Clint Eastwood films kind of just say, oh, I'm rugged and I, I served my time in the military. So now I'm a, I'm a harsh man. And I'm out for the-. no, the reality is these people come out and they're traumatized and they need help. 
Um, but I know you have to go, but thank you so much, Val, for talking with me. Um, I know you did a, you did the podcast episode of John Boyega, so please plug that. And your comic book, I'm so proud of you for, for, for your writing. So promote yourself, please. Thank you. Uh, if you want to follow me, you can follow me at uh, on Twitter at Valerie Complex and on Instagram at Valerie underscore Complex. Uh, I work for Deadline um, as an associate editor and film writer. And I have a podcast at Deadline called The Scene to Scene Podcast. Movie scene and I seened it. So scene to scene <laughs> podcast. And the latest episode is one uh, with John Boyega talking about 892. Yes. So thank you, Carolyn, for having me. I think we had a really good discussion. Sorry, I have to go. No, it's okay. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me because I know festival season and you being an associate editor means that you're busy. So thank you so much for taking the time, <laughs> yeah. time to talk to me. I and I just realized I don't even follow you on Instagram. I have to fix that. I realize I wish we could have been there in person, you know, doing what we do, usually hanging out, you know, you oh. and Katya and a bunch of us. Just One day again, Val. But at least we got to meet up for TIFF, so we had that at least. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's all right. Another one is coming. And, you know, we'll see know. We'll be at that. I know. It's 2022 already. <laughs> all right. Well, I'll see you later. Thank you for having Bye. me again. Take Thank care. You. Bye. So everyone, that was another episode of Caroline Talks. And I was joined today by my friend and guest, Valerie Complex, associate editor, writer, film critic, and podcaster like me um, for a deadline. And I was so happy to get perspective and insight into the military and her experience and into the film that we discussed today, 892, starring John Boyega, Michael K. Williams, and Nicole Bahari. And I'm not sure where it's going to show, but it's probably going to get either theatrical release or I can see it going on like a streaming platform like HBO or Amazon. Um, but I think it's a very important film. It's very well directed, very, very, very well acted um, and worth seeing because I think a lot of people need to realize that what happens to a lot of army veterans and their families once they, they, they've left the war physically, but not mentally or emotionally. Um, you can find other episodes of Caroline Talks on butwhythepodcast.com. Um, you can find it streaming on ACAST under So Here's What Happened because Carolyn Talks is what I call a sub-podcast of So Here What Happened podcast that I co-host with my friend Lanisha Campbell. You can find episodes of Beyond the Romance as well on butwhythepodcast.com and other streaming platforms including SoundCloud and the video format will be um, for Beyond the Romance is on my YouTube channel. You can find episodes of my segments with African American Film Critics Association Virtual Roundtable on my YouTube channel as well as the AFCO website. And we have been doing coverage for Sundance as well for AFCA. So you can find interviews with the writers and directors and the cast of films such as Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul. And we, I'm not sure by the time this comes, no, by the time this comes up, we haven't, we wouldn't have done it as yet, but we will be doing recordings for um, Descendant and a few other films showing at Sundance. So you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at CarrieCNHshop, that's C-R-I-E-C-N-H-1-2. In my Pinterest, you can usually find my latest um, podcast recordings, video chats, and writings, as well as in my Lictria account, which is linked um, in my Twitter handle. And in Instagram, you can find the, the link to my YouTube channel. And you can follow my hashtags, Dramas with Carrie. This is where I like to eat my drama, my Asian dramas weekly at Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern. You can also, I've been doing, started by doing OSTs with Carrie. That's O-S-T 
with OSTS with Carrie. That's my Twitter spaces where I play some of my favorite OSTs and occasionally K-pop songs from Korean dramas. And on Saturday night sci-fi, on Saturday nights, I co-host a Saturday night sci-fi live tweet at 10 p.m. Eastern, where we 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 watch films and TV shows in the sci-fi drama from around the world and on different streaming platforms. And until the next episode of Karen and Talks, everyone, please stay safe. Ooh.